Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Jenny Wren. I've been a festival booker for over 15 years. Mom of two, four if you count the dogs. I've buried my sister and my parents, partied like it was 1999 for over 20 years, modeled for five minutes, worn far too many accessories and not enough self-care. I've had breast cancer and epiphanies. Safe to say, she's been around. You're listening to Hindsight Conversations, where my guests are invited to bring to the table what it is they want to discuss, feel ready to share from where they are in their lives. We meet it together with no agenda. No topic is off limits, from the frivolous to the profound, the gnarly to the joyful, painful to the practical. Red flag moments you can only see when looking back, but looking back to move forward. Join me weekly where we explore the 2020 vision of hindsight. Everyone has it. In this episode, we speak to Harriet. Harriet JW is the founder of the Artist Network and podcast Girls to the Front, a platform to connect and educate artists that identify as women. She is also the founder and host of music platform Secret Sessions. What started as a YouTube channel has grown into one of the UK's most well-respected live shows and music brands. Harriet has worked with hundreds of influential artists and creators, from acts like Ed Sheeran, Passenger and Bastille, to Casey Musgraves, Mahalia and Freya Ridings. Listen to Harriet's incredible story of resilience and tenacity. Probably the biggest thing that's happened to me in my life that at the time just felt like nothing because I was 16. So when I was 16, I um, was hit by a car and I spent two, two weeks in a coma and broke pretty much every bone in my body and, you know, was a whisker away from death. Um, but I think why that's interesting to me, because at the time I was very much like, oh, why is everyone making such a big deal out of this? Like, why are you crying? Like, why do you even, like, it's not that bad. And now I think as a 20 years later person, um, my hindsight is kind of looking back on it and looking at how it affected everyone else around me and also how it completely changed my path in life. I was um, 16 years old and I was out clubbing with my friends in Brighton. We like to skip over the fact that I was 16 and I was out clubbing, but, you know, that's that's what you do. Um, and t- 
to my knowledge, me and my friends had hidden a bottle of wine on the beach and we were in a club uh, and between the beach and the club was a strip uh, in Brighton uh, where all the boys would race. It was called Madeira Drive. So just next to the the pier in Brighton. And what we've managed to piece together is that me and my friends left the club to go and drink this wine on the beach. And I stopped at the door to say hello to some other friends that were entering the club uh, and then ran over to meet my friends and in the process got hit by uh, a speeding boy racer. Um, So I woke up two weeks later from being in a coma. I'd slept through Christmas and it was New Year's Day 2001 uh, and I'd missed two weeks of my life. Um, so, so yeah, when I woke up, I remember, I'll never forget that it was Christmas number one was that song from Donnie Darko, Mad World. And I remember waking up from a coma and like, you know, it was very sort of, as you see in the movies, looking around like with blurred vision and all these white walls and could hear beeping and things like that. Um, and in my head, I'd, this this stretch of time in my head was maybe like an hour long, but of course I was in intensive care and I would have never been left alone for maybe more than 20 seconds. So, you know, that was a very strange time warp that happened then and that song was happening. How long did it take to piece all together? I mean, was this over, you know, once you began to wake up and your dad had explained to you you were in a car accident, you know, was this a number of weeks, days? How Mm. long to kind of start piecing? It's strange, isn't it? It's a little bit like remembering your childhood for me because you're piecing together things that you've heard and things that you've been told and things that you've seen and what is what are actually your memories and, and what are things that you were told had happened. Um, so I think it was over probably the next two years where I started to kind of remember the evenings events and the week up to it a little bit more. Um, but you know, I was 16, there wasn't anything major happening. I was just going to school and seeing my friends and, uh, and then, and then going out and that happened. And your recovery time, how long were you in the hospital for? So Recovery time for so I was in intensive care for two weeks and then I was on a ward for two weeks. So I was in the hospital for a month uh, and then I went home and I think I think I was like walking around by February. Uh, so two months later. Um, and then, so I had these external fixators that, so my pelvis was broken in 12 places. So so I had these, uh, this metal that kind of came out of my pelvis and across my, the front of my waist. Um, so I went home in them and all sorts of other bits of metal inside my body, but where those external fixators were taken out, they, they didn't ever heal properly. So I kept going in to have these operations to have it kind of healed. Um, it basically wasn't healing over. Uh, and it turned out that I had MRSA oh. in my bones. So I ended up having to go back to hospital for another month, six months later. So in the in the July, August of 2001, I'm, I'm getting my date, dates probably messed up if my mum listens <laughs> to this. It will be completely different. Um, 
I had to go back and I ended up having to do my GCSE exams in hospital um, attached to this machine that eradicated MRSA from my bones. So, yeah, so I guess it was like a year recovery with two month stints in the hospital and about 10 operations, I think. Oh, my word. I mean, that's an incredible amount of physical trauma as well as the actual emotional trauma of, you know, it really feels like before and after. Mm. Right. Yeah. I'm guessing you yeah. were just a, a normal, you know, sneaking bottles of wine, 16 year old teenager before. And then you had this completely different journey afterwards. Like what, what have been what has been your hindsight thoughts mm. around all of that? Like, have you know, I'm sure the healing is still going on in many ways. Is mm. it? Yeah, well, I think that I guess the. The key thing is that you're changing so much at that age. Like if I, if this happened to me now, it would be like, you know, so kind of deep and spiritual and I'd probably have some awakening and, you know, all, all this, all this. But I think when you're 16 and everything is changing anyway, it's difficult for me to know what was that and what was just me changing. Yes. So for example, I was, despite my, uh, leaving wine on the beach and clubbing, I was a really keen athlete and I wanted to go to Loughborough for university and study sports. Um, and I wanted to pursue that as a career. Um, and then this stopped me being able to play the sports that I did still play heavily. So I played football, I played roller hockey and I did athletics. And after this accident, I didn't do them anymore and ended up pursuing a career in the arts and in the music industry, as you know. So I wonder if I w my calling would have been in athletics. I think I probably would have ended up as a PE teacher. Wow. Um, I don't think I was, you know, I'd say now that I was destined for like country football, but I, you know, I probably wasn't, let's be honest. Um, but yeah, my path did drastically change yeah. in that moment. Um, and I think that the kind of hindsight is that, so there were a number of adults that it heavily affected, obviously. Uh, my sister, who was doing A-levels at the time, it just must have been horrendous that her you know, little sister was, you know, A, that sick, but B, having that much attention for the next however many years, probably until now. Like, it's still, you know, I still have a different air about me within the family because of this accident. Um, and there was a particular... So the, basically the ambulance driver um, was a man called Mar is a man called Martin. And in 2014, so, you know, 13 years after this accident, I ran the L London Marathon and I did it to raise money for Road Peace, which is a charity that um, helps victims of car accidents. And it was in the local paper and I got a message on Facebook from this man saying, you're not going to remember me. Um, but my name's Martin and I was the ambulance driver that was the first on the scene that day. And basically we ended up getting to know each other. We ended up going on BBC's Radio 4 and um, going on the listening project. He came to my 30th birthday and he's like a family friend now. And he was someone that my mum remembers a lot because he would come up to an intensive care and just sit with me after his shift. And when I, um, when I left intensive care, he just kind of shot off into the distance and was never seen. And it was almost like he was 
a guardian, you know, a little, little angel that was come and making sure I was okay. Um, but it turns out that that was one of the last calls he ever did because it affected him so heavily. Wow. Because he had a 16 year old daughter and he was just like, I can't do this job anymore. Um, and there were all sorts of details about the actual call out that weren't particularly pleasant. Um, which he recalls in this listening project that we did that's on in, on the internet and radio four somewhere. Um, so it affected him very heavily. Like, you know, the stories that I've heard of my mum at that time. And at the time when I was 16, I was like, Oh, why is everyone making such a big deal out of this? I'm fine. You know, like getting out and being in a wheelchair and wanting to go clubbing. And when my parents were like, you know, is this a good idea? I'd be like, Oh, of course it is. <laughs> um, but yeah, now being 36, 20 years later and, you know, expecting a, a child of our own, I'm like, you know, starting to understand it all a little bit more. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the hindsight of, of something like this, I think. And your body, you know, how, like, do you, have you had to sort of, not say had to, that sounds incorrect, but like, do you think you still feel trauma in your body, the physical body? Yeah. So again, I think what's being, you know, because you, again, your body's changing so much at that time, it's hard to know. Like I might stand up now and my hip might hurt and I'm like, is that just, does that hurt with everybody? Cause it's a weird position or is that because I've, you know, broken my pelvis in X number of places. I mean, I definitely have like, a little like everyone calls it my gangster limp like I have a little bit of a drag on my leg when I'm tired <laughs> and things like that um I think you know there's been various things so for example I got a thyroid condition recently and I think that's to do with stress and I got it as a reaction to over exercise and I think that was a way of my body saying like, really, are you really like actually trying to stress me out again? Kidding. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, like there's the book that called the body keeps the score. And I've read things like that, where I think there's definitely like stress that is held within my body from this experience that it now wants to keep a level of homeostasis, <laughs> not kind of go out of it. Yeah, I, I'm a great believer in in the body keeping score. Um, I haven't read that book, but I can imagine uh, the contents. I remember reading in uh, an obituary in England somewhere, actually, in a doctor's surgery, I think. And I, 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 I'm so sorry I didn't write down the name, but this man referenced a book that his father had given him. And the quote from it was something like what, what the body what the eyes do not cry in tears, the body will cry in pain. So mm. what we don't deal with, what we don't yeah, heal, the, the body will keep the score and it'll come back. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's it's um, it's great that you can hear it, though, in a sense that if you're, you know, if you're exercising too much and something kind of goes a little bit out of whack, you're aware. Well, actually, maybe I need to to keep chill. Um, and have you uh, now in your, you know, more adult space um, had those kind of deeper conversations with your mother or your parents around what it was like for them to see their their daughter? You know, I think my parents would probably say no, but I think 
I still feel like it's talked about all the time <laughs> because I think because it's me, you know, and it's been such a kind of, um, you know, running theme throughout my life. Like after that, for the next few years, I was like the girl that got run over at school and, you know, yeah. there was still lots and lots of appointments and I still feel like it's talked about relatively a lot in my family but if you ask my mum she's like you never you know you put it away and put a lid on it and didn't talk about it um so I feel like yes and I feel like I'm very aware of how terrible it was maybe I need to be told again <laughs> um but I'm, I'm sure in your mom <laughs> yeah I'm sure I'm sure these conversations will carry on throughout my life particularly as I have children as well yeah um and does that feel annoying um, it's not like a strange question but does that feel kind of irritating does that feel like seriously are we are we still I think it's it's something that like I quite enjoy talking about on my terms yes yeah <laughs> and you know I think I think another theme of when it happened so when I was 16 and a teenager was that like my mum, my family probably almost felt like it happened to them because I slept through it, you know? Yeah. Whereas I was like, oh, it happened to me. Why are you all so upset by this? But now I like, I really understand that I almost was not even in the equation, but of course I was. But the, the worst part of it, I was not there for. Okay. It's, yeah, it's... um. I mean, it's a huge thing to happen. It, it's, yeah, it's so huge and an incredible story um, and an incredible journey of healing and change. Um, and I just think trauma like that, yeah, must have so many prongs of stuff to consider. And, you know, that may, yeah, that may sound like a strange question, like, do you get sick, you know, but you know, if an identity is kind of put on you, like you were the you were the girl who got knocked down, you know, I'm sure that can feel a bit sort of like seriously. I'm, you know, I'm I'm still just me underneath it all. Mm. Um, and have have you did you spend much time or have you spent any time in your brain? Like, would your brain flip to what if it didn't happen, or do you feel you've been able to really just it sounds like you've just fully accepted, well, this is what happened and this is where I am and this is where the path took me. But did you have any of that kind of probably in your younger years, anger moments of? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think I maybe in, yeah, when I was younger, I probably did. I think, so we spoke a little bit about before we started recording about this um, fertility journey that me and my partner have also been on recently. And we've had six years of, IVF and miscarriages each and and I found this a lot harder than I did being run over and recovering from that <clears throat> and I think you know there's an element of glory of being the person that got run over and survived <laughs> um whereas when you become the person that's trying to do something that can't do it that's a lot harder um and of course like nothing I kind of consciously did was why I survived. I mean, there might have been things that I did in terms of my physical fitness when I was young and things that would have definitely counted towards me surviving. But, you know, there wasn't like a moment that I needed to go and get glory for, for doing that. Yeah. Um, whereas, yeah, I found the last few years of 
IVF and miscarriage and loss a lot harder than I did um, that. And I also wonder if there was an element of with this stage um, of being like, you know, I, I think I felt it was quite unfair. I think I was like, I've had my trauma. Yeah. Like, why am I getting this now? Yeah. Whereas, of course, life is full of trauma and two big events 20 years apart is not beyond the realms of possibility of what will happen in your lifetime. And I'll have more as I get older and people die and I die. And, you know, um, so I think that, you know, you have to sort of think realistically about life and what it is and and the fact that you do have, you know, life is essentially a series of problems that you have to somehow solve. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Congratulations. It's so very exciting that there's a baby on the horizon and we look forward to hearing about the safe arrival um, and the new motherhood journey um, for you both. Um, While you mentioned not doing anything in particular to survive, um, although, yes, the fitness of your body would have, I'm sure, played a huge part um, in your recuperation, like I hear a very strong um, mental, uh, a strong mentality. That's a, that's a better word. I think that can't be overlooked. Surely, do you ever give yourself credit for that? That you know, it <laughs> like it's one thing to heal some broken bones, but it's a whole other to to hold everything together within yourself at that young age, and you know be quite ready to go back out clubbing in your wheelchair at 17 or whatever age you were yeah Yeah. have you you know have you considered that or or kind of yeah I think kind of strength slash bullheadedness slash um yeah like tenacity and things are a real value that I hold um I think 
I think definitely when these are strong values in someone, sometimes you have some of the other potentially softer values may, may suffer a little bit. Like I know, I know full well that I'm not very good at empathy. Um, and I work on that all the time. Um, so yeah, I think strength and tenacity and, and getting through things are things that I pride myself on being good at, but I think, yeah, it doesn't come with, you know, shade in other areas of course yeah of course as one rises up something else falls off the 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 tree so to speak um yeah so I think it's like constantly seeking balance I guess yeah and I've definitely felt within the past few years that strength trying like cracking a little bit like I say with this Mm. IVF journey that's just been a lot harder than any of that was Mm. um but I think all of that has been learning as well. And I think I probably softened over the last few years as well, which has probably been nice for certain people in my life. Um, so, yeah, it's all about finding finding the right balance. And, you know, we're all just constantly evolving and changing. And it's, there's nowhere that we're trying to get to, is there? It's just... No, no, there isn't. Have you had that kind of philosophical thought through that going, well, uh, yes, I thought it was going this way, but ultimately this was what was kind of not supposed to happen but sort of laid out for you yeah yeah definitely I think I don't know I like I I really flip between different levels of woo and I don't know how (laughs) how much for me I'm not religious but I believe in the power of the human spirit and the universe and I um I don't necessarily think that there's one path that was laid out for me, but I also believe that I trust myself to make the right choices that will take me to wherever I'm supposed to go. And I think I do believe in the, um, there's a quote that's like, don't ask why me ask, what are you teaching me? And I think I try and remember that because I have had a lot of times throughout my life where I, could ask why me and if I'm honest I have you know particularly in the last few years been like really is this actually happening again um so to to put it into context in the last three years my wife and I have had three miscarriages between us so there were definitely moments in there where I was like you know what is what you know what are you trying to teach me actually not even asking what you're trying to teach me just being like for fuck's sake how is this happening again? Why me? <laughs> Fist banging on the floors. Um, but yeah, I think it, it's an ongoing journey to to find out why things have happened. Not even why they happened, because that's probably too philosophical for me, but more um, what have I learned from this? Did you ever meet the guy? I'm assuming uh, it was a boy racer, but yeah, I did. Uh, in so we we had a court case, um, and we didn't meet at the court case, um, but we met in a club <laughs> a couple of years later. So he was only nineteen at the time. So I was sixteen, he was nineteen, um, and I remember there being a bit of a commotion and his name. Everyone knew his name, and it was like Harriet. This he's here. He's here. He wants to talk to you. And I was like, okay. So we had to like go meet in this like corner of the club. Um, and it was fine. It wasn't like, it wasn't 
I think if if we make the movie, we'll have to make it a little bit more dramatic than it actually okay, was. Okay, yeah, embellish um, it a bit more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, it was fine. Wow. And was there a kind of? It, it's it doesn't sound like you needed him to say sorry. That's what I'm hearing. I could be wrong, but I I'd imagine he needed your um, it, blessing. If I, yeah. If I remember correctly, it was a I'm sorry, but. Oh. <laughs> it was an I'm sorry, but everyone drives fast down that road. Okay. Um, but like, so there was an accident report done that said he was going 52 in a 30 limit. So I got hit by a car going 52 miles an hour. Um, and <clears throat> I think, yeah, I think we all know those statistics about what happens you know, the statistics of surviving a car going that fast in relation to a car going at 30. Um, so, yeah, I don't think it was, you know, the big friendship making moment that it could be in a film. I think it was more like, oh, OK, you're, as I thought, <laughs> a 19 year old boy, basically. <laughs> oh, how interesting. Well, I hope you do make the movie because I think it could be. Um, yeah, you know, and we'll, yeah, we'll work on that section. <laughs> yeah. Your resilience and that tenacity within yourself. Would you say that that's been the the strongest uh, life boy for you through through this journey? Yeah, I think I think yeah, strength is is a big one. Um, <clears throat> I think yeah, I think strength and tenacity and what, as I said, some people would say, kind of bullheadedness. <laughs> um, but I think the kind of focus on the other side of something when you're going through it is really important because you know when something's happening it's such a sort of pressure cooker but I think if we if we sort of were to go up into space and look at the timeline of our life and and then think about the the moment that the moments that are the hardest they'd be so small Mm. but when you're in them they feel so big so I think that's something that I really try and think about and when we were recently having our IVF journey, I did actually do that thinking and I'd, I'd try and articulate it to my wife and I'd be like, like imagine we're in space and we're looking to just be like, what are you talking about? And I'd be like, we're looking down at, you know, our whole life and this is such a small, Piece. you know, yeah. for example, the, the IVF clinic shut over COVID. So everybody had this, like everyone that was going through treatment had like a six month delay and it felt so big because everything is like, I need it now, I need it now. Mm. Um, and I, I do a lot of kind of, um, you know, that sort of bird's 200 foot view on actually thinking about it as time and being like, it, it's such a small proportion of our time. Um, but of course things have knock on effects, which mean that they carry on as themes throughout your life. But I think we just, you know, we're all built on this, you know, Jenga block of experience and history that we sit on top of and everything, whether it's a great experience or a terrible one is going to contribute to that. Um, and I think it's just important that we know that the learnings are kind of as important as, as the jubilant moments that we celebrate. Mm. 
I think that's a really lovely, um, I'm, I'm with you on the <laughs> going up to space or that bird's eye view. There's a very, it's almost like an Indian meditation feel about it. Although I'm, you know, I'm not suggesting that's what you were suggesting, but yeah, that, that, um, it's almost like an astral plane view, isn't it? You want to kind of, mm. you know, and that's not with any woo woo either, but that's standing out or, um, I often try and look at myself in third person going, oh, she doing it again. Or, you yeah. know, it can take the judgment away. And and as you say, help you see things with a little bit more clarity and and, and the bigger picture thinking as opposed to in the minutia of, of pain and trauma of, of what's going on in that moment. Yeah. Um, and I think some of these um, some of these more philosophical or spiritual practices can and I think this is, you know, I, d- I said that sometimes I can struggle a little bit with empathy because I think when you do do a lot of that kind of thinking, you can be impatient with people that don't. Um, and I think it's important to try and know that everybody else is at different points of thinking about things. So, you know, I like a bomb could go off next to me and I'd be relatively calm. Mm. Um, whereas my partner wouldn't, whereas I can, you know, there might be like a loose screw on my computer and that'll really stress me out. Like, so I think micro things can really affect me, whereas macro things don't so much. And I think, I guess we, we all have to be sensitive that everybody has these different ways of thinking and dealing with things. And just because yes, I'm tenacious, strong, and um bullheaded it doesn't mean everyone is so therefore i think it's important to try and be sensitive to to the values and and the kind of um emotions that other people experience things in as well i think that's really fascinating and thank you so much for sharing that i think that's an incredible story um and yeah such huge learning i mean there's just so much there isn't there there really is it's it's um it's immense um and i i am thinking of your poor mom and dad <laughs> with it at all i'll be honest because everyone does oh <laughs> yeah and when you have your small one in your arms i think yeah you know i i know for me the the biggest change i had within myself becoming a mother was it was almost like the umbilical cord that was cut between myself and the baby it fed into, it was like, I fully, I don't, I can't even describe it without sounding like a total hippie, but it was like back into, I understand whale mothers more. I under, you know, just that, oh my God, that intense feeling of protection that it's like a button is pressed and that's through your body and you can't do anything about it. It's it's beyond my humanness to, to manage it. It's back to just pure animal instinct. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think that's why, uh, yeah, I would kind of think of the mother, obviously you're stuck in bed having to manage all of this pain, but wow, yeah, to, to look at your child in that respect would, in capacity, must have been brutal, yeah. Yeah, especially and, if they're there rolling their eyes. <laughs> back, it's okay, she's rolling her eyes. <laughs> Normal teenage dumb has yeah. resumed, you know. Yeah. Um, I have three very simple questions that I'm asking as a kind of continuum with uh, through the series. Um, yeah, they, they don't have, they're not very deep thinking ones. Um, what are you sorry you didn't give up earlier? Um, hmm. Um, 
Ooh, maybe you haven't given up anything. <laughs> I mean, I did all the things that you shouldn't do when I was young, but I felt I feel like I got a hold on giving them up quite early. Like I stopped smoking in my early twenties and things like that. Um, something that I haven't fully given up that I wish I had is um, all of the kind of tendencies that a lot of women have and a lot of men to worry about what they're eating and how much they're exercising. And I think when I'm on my deathbed, that is something that I'll be like, I wish I spent less time worrying about that. Um, I think you, I think it's, I think it's important to have an awareness and an element of worry about it to stop yourself being a complete pig. Um, (laughs) But I think I waste too much energy on that. Okay. And what are you sorry you didn't start earlier? Oh, um, I, I think that I will, again, probably be on my deathbed wishing I'd learned to play a musical instrument and learn another language. And I'm pretty sure that I'm probably going to learn neither, but I wish I, I wish I had the capacity to do it. And I don't really think it's something that you can do for 20 minutes a day. I think it's a, like, you need to go and immerse yourself in a country. And I think I'd skipped that stage of my life by, I think when you're young, you if you do an art foundation, you don't tend to have a year out. And I did an art foundation. Uh, and I wish that I'd learned another language and I wish that I'd done another, uh, I wish that I'd done a ski season in that year. Okay. And in hindsight, what are you most proud of to date? I, the thing that always comes to my mind is running the marathon after the story of, you know, what we've been through. I think the, uh, I say what we've been through, I've just talked to you about it on a podcast, but I feel like you've lived it now. Um, uh, the, the, yeah, running a marathon is not the, the five, four or six hours of running it. It's the like, hours of getting up on a Saturday morning in your 20s and running 22 miles and I think I'm proud that I dedicated that year of my life to training to do that to show myself and everyone around me that I could Mm. yeah that is an incredible thing to do particularly after all your body had been through and your heart and your mind to to pull it all together and particularly in your 20s for sure yeah. <laughs> I'd have thought about it in my 20s and yeah no I'd have been yeah. back into Ministry of Sound and that was my marathon so yeah <laughs> <laughs> um yeah well done well done for that um thank you so much it's been such a pleasure and um I just really appreciate your, uh, yeah, your honesty and openness to, to converse and literally converse with somebody you've never met before and randomly messaged you out of the blue because of a weird little app called Clubhouse, which is <laughs> kind of cool in its own way. And I feel a little bit more connected to it now. It's like, OK, we can meet some humans from this, you know. Yeah. And thank you so much. Yeah, it's really, really lovely to connect with you. I'm looking forward to the movie. Yeah. Um, but I'm really looking forward to hearing about the birth of your baby in October. Yes. And that is, of course, the second thing that I'm most proud of. And I can't believe I didn't say that. I think it's because it's not here yet. Yes. It will. It will, of course, overshadow the, the marathon. Yeah. Um, and maybe. the journey between you to get there. You know, I think that's um, that in itself shows a lot of strength between you both, because that's not an easy thing to to go back at. And, and as a couple to to maintain your, your love and friendship through it is um i'm sure has been has been difficult yeah 
you know yeah um so that's inspiring and beautiful as a couple story as well um, yeah i'm very much looking forward to yeah. hearing about the baby if anybody ever gets a choice whether to get run over or go through ivf get run over <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And come find me over in Hindsight Conversations on Twitter and Instagram. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.